Hi, I'm Suparna Goswami, Associate Editor with Information Security Media Group. I'm speaking with Varika Pace, who is Senior Research Director with Gartner. We will talk about brand impersonation and how the problem has increased during COVID-19 times. Varika, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Varika, first I would like to understand what is your role in Gartner and what kind of fraud trends you track? Well, I am the senior research director here at Gartner. Um, I do cover social media security and fraud. And then I also cover a special area of IoT and OT security as well. And enjoy working with clients on really starting to harden their social media and fraud detection processes. Marika, we the other day we were speaking about brand impersonation, right? And uh, it's basically an offshoot of a typical business email compromise scam. While it is not new, are you seeing new techniques being used by fraudsters of late? You know, there are four common types of fraud that we're seeing, and a few of these are on the uptick. Usually um, what we see is brand display name deception. So think about that as someone saying they're the Apple support team, right? That would be one uh, one area. The second one that we're seeing um, cropping up even more and more are individual display needs deception. So maybe taking it one step further and saying that they are, you know, Bill Gates or, or something like that in a related display email. And then there are the ones that have been around for quite a while. These would be actual compromised accounts. So, you know, we've, we saw this with a few of the folks in the travel industry when COVID-19 first hit, where some of the airline companies, um, hotels, that sort of thing, were getting their accounts, usually sometimes unactive accounts, compromised by others, either trying to entice people to click those buttons and share more personal information or payment information. And then finally, this has been around for a while too, lookalike domains, right? So just changing the domain name just a little bit. Maybe it's Apple with a P instead of two Ps or something like that, or Marriott Hotels as opposed to Marriott.com. So those are the sort of things that, those are the basic four categories that we see happening in over this time here in the last few years, particularly probably in the last three or four months. Sure. So you spoke about uh, account compromise. You spoke about domain getting duplicate, duplicate domain. So in your career spanning so many years, I'm sure you have seen several instances of brand impersonation. Without naming the company, can you walk us through one of the cases and how much damage the company suffered? Yeah, you know, there are there are several categories of cost and issues associated with these types of events. Everything from, you know, just a hit to the company's trust, you know, the trust of that particular brand becomes impacted. So those public relations things that are so intangible and, and, and kind of difficult to measure. And, and then we see uh, the cost of security teams having to really get involved in triaging this, these types of attacks using whatever forensic tools they may have at their disposal. Sometimes we're even seeing downtime where we've had to take, you know, brands have had to take their social media presence offline, get things cleaned up, work with the social media platform providers. And these are not easy things to do. And so it costs them quite a bit in terms of just managing through those incidents and then later reestablishing trust 
with their with their customers. You know, we usually don't share our uh, specific case study. We did see something very similar to this, and not we as in Gardner, but we as the public, because it, it this one played out over the internet over a couple days where we did see a, a fashion brand attacked. The logo was changed as an example. They were trying to lure customers into believing that it was this very high-end luxury sunglass company. And from there, they were a, these you know, these attackers were able to really abstract people's credit card information, email addresses, home addresses, that sort of thing. So great case of just moving and shifting a brand logo to look a little like that brand, using a little bit of that domain spoofing technique to start to elicit information from consumers. So you spoke about domain spoofing techniques and other categories of brand impersonation. So apart from user awareness, which of course is the key, what technologies and tools can companies leverage to monitor such fraudulent incidents? I'm so glad that you asked that question. What we find to be the most effective is leveraging social media analytics tools, right? And there, you know, there are quite a few of them out there um, that people use today. The key here is as you start to implore technology like social analytics tools, you know, call it any number of, of different ones. Um, there's probably a half dozen or so that are out there that folks will use. You know, it could be Digital Shadows or Zero Fox or Brandwatch or Recorded Futures, Fish Labs. Those are all excellent in terms of thinking about what data is out there, really leveraging it to monitor and listen. Now, and I make that distinguish, you know, I distinguish those two things, monitoring and listening. Monitoring is what's happening. Listening is really trying to get to the heart of why it happens. And so to get there, we have to do, we have to do both at the same time leveraging those social analytic technologies, social media monitoring technologies. But what's most important is how your organization socializes that data, really democratizing the data across several different areas, whether it's marketing, public relations, legal, your privacy team, and then also very importantly, your cybersecurity team. It's really the organization working as a whole to leverage any of these monitoring and listening tools to start to harden and really monitor and listen at the same time for potential threats and then managing and triaging these incidents as they occur quite quickly. Sure. So you must be interacting with companies who are probably implementing such tools. Where do you see companies having that disconnect when it comes to tackling or managing the problem of brand impersonation? Much of this comes back to these organizational gaps. What we really recommend is that companies establish a playbook for how they establish new social media accounts, how they monitor those accounts, and how they triage and handle social media events as they occur. And what normally happens is a lot of times this, the social analytics tools remain with someone in the marketing area or someone who's responsible for social media content. And so what happens is we end up having these disconnects between our friends over in the information security office, maybe our, those who are in the legal team and our CISOs. By having more of an established playbook, who's responsible, right? Who's accountable? Um, who's consulted and informed as we 
get more information and data out of these tools, it's going to be helpful to close those gaps. If everyone is on the same page and you really clearly have some defined policies, things like hijacked abandoned accounts can get identified quite quickly by having a process by which social media accounts are opened you know, whether that's the marketing director approving it or the CMO, and then notifying legal and security of all those active accounts so they can also react as they see things that happen or need to be actioned. So closing the gaps starts with communication and having a very strong framework across the entire organization. Correct. So when you mention about gaps, you basically mean there is a gap between what the marketing team does and the security team is probably not involved until... Of course, there is a situation where the security team has to step in because there has been a compromise. You're absolutely right. That is typically what we what what will happen is there is this gap uh, between the organization of who's talking to who. Maybe the, the security team doesn't even have access to the social analytics tool. We're finding those companies who are more mature in this utilize the social analytics tool as part of their daily SOC operation. And they may also be using these tools to maybe integrate with their SIM or their SOAR so they can see those incidents and start to connect them with other things that are happening across the enterprise, whether that's an email phishing attack, maybe a compromise of a social media account from one of their C-level employees, by being able to integrate, and really it's integration of technology as much as it is people, we can start to close down those gaps more quickly. Sure. How much are you seeing companies closing this gap? What kind of policies need to be in place? Well, you know, a big piece of this, you know, like I had said earlier, is just starting to develop, you know, I say you need a really a racy. Um, that's, you know, kind of that framework of who's responsible, accountable, consented and informed. And those people that are involved, the people who are at that table developing that governance around social media should be folks from your marketing team, communications. If you have a separate social media team, they should be involved. But more and more, because we're seeing things like CCPA and GDPR and the privacy front, making sure your privacy and legal people are also a part of that governance process, in addition to the security people who will do some of this connection between other things that are happening throughout the enterprise. So having that governance body helps us to establish a rhythm and the cadence for reviewing these things more often having very well-defined social media security policies and procedures that go along with it that we can follow will help us to get to that level where we see some of the more mature organizations operating on a day-to-day basis. And Barika, how is machine learning playing a part to mitigate such fraud incidents? And how can companies go about implementing this technology from the beginning to the end? Well, it is, you know, I believe it or not, it's, it's not so complicated. A lot of these things work quite well, even just out of box. Where people tend to, where things do, do, do tend to get complicated is some of these integrations that happen in, in reporting, right? So sometimes what we'll find is that a tool that you may implement doesn't have the dashboards or the reports that are needed. And so folks are now starting to get really slick and smart with this and are starting to add these things into products like say a ServiceNow or Exabeam or something like that. So they can track these things as part of their normal incident management process. We would call that sort of at the emerging or adolescent phase right now. Machine learning definitely comes into play in terms of some of the analytics that are happening within the tool. But again, these are these are kind of things that are in bits and spots, right? It hasn't really 
you know, reached a point of maturity where we're seeing it leveraged and accepted by the end user community going forward, in part because people want to understand how the machine algorithms work, and in part because the investment in the cost that it, it, that exists there is also one of those challenges. You know, there's a big budget discussion about, well, who owns, you know, who even owns the tool itself? Is it, is it marketing? Is it security? Is it legal? And so finding budget for these things becomes difficult. And so what we've seen is like machine learning kind of taking a slow crawl towards being adopted. It can be very helpful in bringing down the brand impersonation for all we're used. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot, Barika, for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. You were listening to Barika Pace for ISMG. This is Suparna Goswami. Thank you for listening.